Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Exchange-traded funds have been all the rage recently, and the UK government faces a crucial vote on asylum seekers today. Plus, university presidents are facing a lot of criticism over how they're handling anti-Semitism on campus. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Investors poured a record amount into high-yield bond ETFs in November. BlackRock says that these ETFs received about $11.5 billion globally. Most of that came from U.S.-listed ETFs. Last month's total crushed the previous record that was set in April 2020, and it shows that investors are open to more risk. According to BlackRock, it wasn't just high-yield bond ETFs that did well last month. ETFs overall globally brought in more than $127 billion, which is almost double what they brought in in October. It's a crucial week for the UK's prime minister. Today, Rishi Sunak faces a pivotal vote in parliament over his plans to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. It's part of a scheme that was agreed in 2022 to deter migrants from illegally entering the UK and remove those who do. A few weeks ago, the UK's Supreme Court ruled that the government's plan was unlawful, but Sunak is moving forward with a revised version. The FT's Anna Gross has been following the issue, and she joins me now to discuss... Hey, Anna. Hi, Mark. Anna, we've talked about this bill a couple of times now on the show, but what is the latest? So essentially, the government took an approach to try to make this policy workable in the face of severe opposition, including that Supreme Court ruling. And there are two prongs to that. So the the Supreme Court ruling was that Rwanda could not be deemed a safe country because there was a very real risk that individuals, asylum seekers, could be sent home to their country of origin where they risk facing uh, danger to their lives. So essentially what the government has done has created a new legally binding treaty with Rwanda that states that Rwanda cannot, under any circumstances, send an individual back to their country of origin. And the second thing it is doing, and this is the kind of highly controversial part, is that it's introducing, it's suggesting emergency legislation that would categorically deem Rwanda to be a safe country and also disapply parts of the Domestic Human Rights Act that would potentially leave the government open to challenge. So how are people perceiving this move? So you may think, uh, wow, that sounds like an incredibly strong piece of legislation. And that's what the government is arguing. It's saying, look, we've never done anything like this before and is going to make it vanishingly difficult for anyone to challenge a removal to Rwanda. But there is a large caucus of very right-wing MPs who feel that this absolutely does not go far enough. And and its main issue is that it leaves any removal open on individual grounds. So even though Rwanda is technically a safe country, an individual who is being removed to Rwanda can say, I personally am at risk if I am sent to Rwanda. 
So given all the opposition that you're talking about, Anna, how confident should we be that the government can actually get this policy over the finish line? That is a million-dollar question mark. So today, there is a crucial vote. It's the second reading of this bill. And this is where we're going to find out whether uh, enough Conservative MPs vote in favour. That said, the bill is actually expected to receive enough support to pass this stage. And it's likely that MPs, instead of embarrassing Sunak at this point, are going to try and push for amendments further down the line at later stages of the bill's scrutiny. Yeah, just how badly does Sunak need this win? I mean, we're getting closer and closer to next year's general election. Conservatives are down 20 points against Labour in opinion polls. What are the stakes for the prime minister? Not to overstate the case, I would say that the stakes are very, very high. If this bill were to be defeated today, kind of reputationally, it would look very, very bad. And there are big rumours swilling around Westminster that it would probably cause a large number of MPs to hand in letters of no confidence. If enough of those letters are submitted, it could lead to a fresh leadership election, which, as you kind of hinted, that could be incredibly damaging for the party ahead of an election next year. So there's a huge amount for Sunak to play for here in terms of holding on not only to his reputation, but his seat, his power. Anna Gross is a political correspondent for the FT. Thanks, Anna. Thanks a lot. Anti-Semitism has been on the rise at U.S. universities. The debate over how to handle it has cost one high-profile university president her job, and more resignations could be coming. The FT's Josh Chaffin has been reporting on this, and he joins me now. Hi, Josh. Hey, Mark. So the University of Pennsylvania's president, Liz McGill, resigned after coming under immense pressure. Josh, what exactly has been going on with her and with other university presidents when it comes to speech on campus? In short, they had a disastrous appearance at a congressional hearing last week on the sharp rise in anti-Semitism on college campuses since the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel. Good morning. The Committee on Education and Workforce will come to order. And the key moment in this congressional hearing, the three presidents were asked. At MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? And to the shock, I think, of just about everybody watching, they simply could not muster a very clear answer to that question. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. They hedged, they prevaricated. That would be um, investigated as harassment, if pervasive and severe. And it really has created a, a firestorm that has gone all the way up to the White House. And there are a lot of Palestinian students or Muslim student groups that have complained about Islamophobia on campus, that this has risen alongside anti-Semitism. They have complained that a lot of the Jewish complaints in turn are an effort to to limit free speech, that they're simply campaigning for what they believe is a just cause. And to add another element to this, there's a question of money and the influence of money and power on these universities when it comes to 
free speech and anti-Semitism on campus. How did donors play into this whole thing, Josh? Well, the campaign to hold the presidents accountable for the rise of anti-Semitism or, or for failing to address it has been led by a group of wealthy donors, mostly Jewish, but not entirely. A couple of them are big Wall Street figures. Mark Rowan, who is one of the founders of the Apollo Group, and uh, Bill Ackman, who is a big hedge fund manager, Pershing Square Capital Management. Bill has been incredibly public on Twitter. In particular, Mark Rowan has been a little bit more behind the scenes, but has written letters that have become very public, urging other donors to withhold donations because he was so unhappy about what's happened. Josh, I can't imagine that everyone is thrilled with this campaign from donors. What are critics saying? I think there is a lot of uh, discomfort about the idea of the wealthiest people among us getting to decide what can and can't be said on university campuses and how they should be run uh, because they're able to write very large checks. I think this is a, a kind of a issue that has a, you know, it's a, it's a long and complicated one and that the universities would like you to think that it's absolutely pristine process where they receive donations and yet they make all their decisions in a kind of ivory tower that don't have any donor influence involved. But obviously they're out courting these enormous checks. And I think the relationship is always probably a little bit messier than they might like it to be. Josh, as you're following the story, what are you looking out for next? I think this larger reckoning about DEI policies on university, the sense that speech is protected in some cases, but not in other cases, that this is going to become a larger political issue. I think that Elise Stefanik, the Republican congresswoman from New York who led the questioning on these cases, she has threatened further investigation to subpoena documents, emails, et cetera, from the universities. So I think she may try to make hay. That's the FT's Josh Chavin. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.